Hey, Upper Room family. This is Lee Cummings, and it was a joy to be with you this last weekend. I shared a message out of Mark chapter 13 called Stay Awake, where Jesus encourages his followers, especially those who are alive on planet Earth nearing the end of the age, to not be moved and not be shaken by the external circumstances, but to guard our hearts, to keep our love alive, and to stay awake. I encourage you to tune in, listen, ask the Holy Spirit what he's saying to you, and stay awake. I want to share a message with you tonight uh, out of Mark chapter 13. So if you have your Bibles, open them to Mark chapter 13. The message I'm going to share with you tonight is a message that I really believe is a message for Jesus' church, in particular, his church in America. Because if you look globally at what Jesus is doing in the earth, it's, it's astounding. What he's doing primarily in Africa, Asia, Central and South America, I mean, it's nothing short of the book of Acts. And the, and the reality is that the church of Jesus in Western culture, Western civilization, is a very unique culture with a lot of rich history of awakenings and revivals but currently is in a state, I believe, of decision. We're at an inflection point where we determine which direction we're going to turn. We can either turn towards the Lord in revival, and you know, recently, God has been so gracious in, in pouring out little outpourings of his spirit in unique places. In particular, like Asbury College, many of you may have heard of the outpouring that took place there about a month ago. Just this small, you know, Christian college with no lights, no smoke, no celebrities. Young man named Zach preached a message. He got off the stage, texted his wife, said, I think I bombed. Went out to the car, heard an hour later that the prayer meeting was still going on, and it went for days. And thousands of people showed up to Wilmore, Kentucky to come and see what God has done. And if you look at the last hundred years of history in 20th century, Asbury's always a, a bellwether. It's a, a canary in a coal mine where what God does at Asbury, he'll, he's about to do on a national level. And then it began to spill out in other places. I was in Mexico on vacation. You know, we live in Michigan, and so we get winter. You guys down here get ice. We get winter. And uh, so every once in a while, you got to get away. So we were in Mexico sitting by the pool, and my phone started blowing up with my friend saying, do you see what's going on at Asbury? You've got you to get home. we got to go to Asbury. And I had the worst case of FOMO like I've never had before because all my friends were driving down there and coming back, and it begins to pop up in different places. Even our own community began to experience it. At the turn of the year, we began to just sense spiritual hunger at an all-time high in our church. The Psalm 63 hunger, where we're just crying out to God. And what we began to realize is that God comes where he's wanted. And so our community began to cry out. Our church began to cry out in a 21-day season of fasting. And then when Asbury broke out, some of our school of ministry students went down to Asbury, came back, showed up at the Thursday morning Prayer set at 8 a.m., which was supposed to go about an hour, and it went for nine days, 24 hours. It never stopped. It just broke out, and we just saw this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and it was so encouraging to me because I asked the Lord. I said, Lord, is this what we've been praying for? Is this 
awakening on a, on a scale like we've read in revival books and heard about, you know, that took place in Wales and the Hebrides and Argentina and Azusa Street. Is this, is this what we've been crying out and the Lord has showed me? It's like, no, this is just the spit on the windshield. You know what it's like when it's about to rain and you just begin to get a little mist on your windshield. And then you can either wipe it off and ignore it or you can pay attention to it and know the rain's coming. And I believe it's the Lord in his mercy who's just begun to pour out a little bit of his spirit on our generation to just make a statement that there's no generation that is beyond my reach. You have not gone to the point of no return. I'm still willing to move. If there will be prayer in my house, there will be praise in the streets. And so I'm still, I'm still in this place where I'm prayerfully contending, and I believe we're at a tipping point. The next five to seven years are going to be a significant era where the church either responds to that and says, God, yes, in our generation. We'll say no to a thousand things so we can say yes to one. Or, or it will be like we missed our window of opportunity. And all that's to say, I believe what Jesus would say to the church, especially in the West, what he's saying to us, which is unique to us, is we need to stay awake. We've got to stay awake spiritually if we're going to be able to see what God's doing and we're not going to get caught off guard by the difficulties that are also coming on the horizons. Because make no mistake about it, before the great and the terrible day of the Lord, before the Lord returns, there is a pressure, a barometric pressure spiritually that is increasing on the body of Christ, especially in America. And we're beginning to feel it and we need to know how to respond to it. So look with me here at Mark 13, beginning in verse 32. Jesus' words... He says, but concerning that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and he puts his servants in charge. Each with his work, he commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. And therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. This is Jesus's words to his disciples in response to their question about the days that I believe you and I are living in. See, the Bible describes the last days. Whenever you read the Bible and you see last days or end times, it's referring to the days we're living in. Started on the day of Pentecost. Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and he says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel when he said, in the last days I will pour out my spirit, declares the Lord. That's the beginning of the last days. We're in it. 2,000 years later, we're still in it. And what we're beginning to see is the acceleration and the ramp up of human history that is aiming at a time and a moment where Jesus is gonna step back into history and is gonna reclaim what rightfully belongs to him. That's a profound and a very sobering reality that this Jesus who came the first time is coming again. And when he comes, we wanna be awake and we wanna be ready. The disciples asked him, what's it gonna be like when you come? And Jesus gave a lot of different signs. He says, pay attention. He says there's gonna be kingdom rise up against kingdom, nation against nation. He said that there's gonna be earthquakes and 
There's gonna be famines and there's gonna be pestilence and there's gonna be all these things, signs in the star, stars in the moon and the sun. He also said this, he says, and this gospel will be preached in all nations and then the end will come. So we know that that's gonna take place. So what does it tell us about the end of the age? It's gonna be the best of times. It's gonna be the worst of times. It's gonna be some difficulties and there's gonna be a massive outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But here's what's interesting is that when Jesus describes to his followers what those days are gonna be like, what he's most concerned about is not the external circumstances, but their internal condition of their hearts. This is what Jesus zeroes in on. In Luke 21, his, or Luke 21's version of it, he says, make sure that your heart is not weighed down with dissipation. Make sure that when these, these things begin to happen, your heart does not get weighed down. In Matthew 24, verse 12, which is the same message that Jesus is preaching here, he says, because of lawlessness and its abounding, the love of many will grow cold. Think about that. He said, the love of many is gonna grow cold because of what you see taking place on the earth. In verse 10, he says, many are, will be offended. They'll betray one another and they'll hate one another. And many false prophets will rise up and deceive many people. Jesus, I mean, think about it. You're with your disciples. You've spent three and a half years training them, discipling them, correcting them, preparing them. And they're, at, they're asking you, okay, Jesus, we know you're going away and you're coming back. But just before you come back, what do we need to know? And Jesus' answer is, above all things, no matter what you see happen, stay awake. The New King James says, take heed, watch, and pray. Stay awake. Do not fall asleep. And I think the reality is that we're living in a moment right now where unbeknownst to us, because it's invisible to our natural eye, there is a demonic spirit of the age that is singing a satanic lullaby in the attempts to put the church in America to sleep. He wants to turn the church, switch it from an arsenal in an armory into a unholy hospice in which he anesthetized the hearts of God's people and slowly put you to sleep until one day your heart just stops and it grows cold. And your love for Jesus that started red hot is no longer even got a ember left in it where we're so caught up in the hatred and the violence and the natural circumstances and the divisions and the false teaching and the philosophies of men that we've not guarded our heart and we just begin to fall, fall asleep. How many know when you fall asleep, there's that moment that you don't even know you're falling asleep. You just wake up and it's like 7 a.m. and you're like, I don't remember when I fell asleep. There's a moment and it's unbeknownst to us, this is what Jesus is saying to the church. In Jude, it's the small little book at the end of the New Testament, is actually the half-brother of Jesus. He also is speaking about the last days. He's talking about the times we're living in. And in verse 18, he says, in the last times there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions, and it is those who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. And then he says this, but you, beloved Build yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the spirit, and then this is the part that just gets me. 
He says, keep yourself in the love of God. Keep yourself in the love of God. What's this? It's our heart. It's exactly what Jesus was concerned about. He's saying, guys, guard your heart. Stay awake. Do not allow the spirit of this age to come and to bear down on you with heaviness and dissipation. In Luke 21, cares of this world. Don't get so wrapped up in this world and the urgency of the moment and the voices that are crying for your attention that your heart somehow begins to harden and cool until one day you can't even hear, you can't even feel. Stay awake. Everybody say, stay awake. Now, I will tell you that recently I've been having a difficult time staying awake, and here's why. We went to India, and uh, Jane and I went over to India, and we were there for two weeks. And if you've ever flown internationally, like across time zones, you know, you, you end up in a whole nother day. And so we got over to India, and it was 10, 10 hours difference, and we're up at like 1.30 in the morning, by four in the afternoon, I'm dead tired, and it's just... It's jet lag. How many of you have ever had jet lag before? You've ever experienced, it's the worst thing in the world. It's just, you know, you're up at three in the morning folding laundry for no good reason. You're just like, I don't even know why I'm doing this. I've got nothing else to do. You're watching like CSI, you know, on one of the cable networks because there's nothing else to do. And, and your, your, your body is exhausted, but your mind is calibrated to a different time zone. So about the time that you get adjusted to it, you get over there, it takes about a week. And so we're there for, I think, 10 days in country. And so we get there, and on like day seven, I start feeling normal. And three days later, we get on a plane, we come home. And how many know when you come home, you start that whole process all over again? And the reason for it is because the way that God has designed a human body, your brain, is in something called a circadian rhythm. A circadian rhythm. Let me give you a, a definition, a medical definition, because this is going to help you understand the heart, the spiritual aspect of this reality. A circadian rhythm says it's a physical, mental, and behavioral change that follows a cycle responding primarily to light and darkness in a person's direct environment. It's controlled by nerve clusters just above the optic nerve behind the eye. So here's what happens, light, literally, daylight comes into your eye, hits those nerves, and the nerve communicates to the part of your brain, it says it's daytime, so therefore you need to be working and you need to have all the lights switched on in every room of your brain so that you can be fully engaged. And then what happens is as the light dissipates and there's less light coming into your eyes, it begins to tell your brain, okay, let's turn some lights off until you're winding down to go to sleep. And it operates in a 24-hour cycle because that's how the sun operates. But what happens when you travel from time zone, here you are, I live in Eastern time zone, but you fly across time zones and you go into a different place unnaturally, what happens is your mind, your brain is still calibrated to the time zone that you're native to. Even though your body is here and the clock might say it's four in the afternoon, your brain is still calibrated to the light it had that says it's eight in the morning. And it takes days and sometimes weeks for your body to fully calibrate. This is a circadian rhythm. And there's a circadian rhythm of your soul. 
Because when you get saved, you are translated out of darkness, the Bible says, into the kingdom of God's love, his glorious light. We're out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we're saved and we're translated into a different kingdom in our heart, our spirit gets aligned with the kingdom of God. This is who we are. It's like Jesus is king, his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven and our spirit comes to life. And that's why when you're newly saved, it's like every time you read the Bible, it's like, this is amazing. Have you ever seen this before? That's why every time you go to the prayer room when you're newly saved, it's like the glory of God shows up and you're impacted and every song makes you cry. It's why your heart is just filled with zeal and you wanna share your faith, you wanna witness, you wanna invite people to church. It's all new. Why? Because your heart is calibrated to the kingdom of God. But here's what happens. You step out of this environment, newly saved, out into the darkness and your soul begins to adjust to the darkness. You begin to adjust a little bit at a time. And before you know it, your heart is now calibrated to the culture and to the world around you. And the things that used to burn bright in your heart don't burn as bright anymore. The zeal that you had isn't isn't as fiery as it used to be. The word isn't as exciting for you anymore. The prayer meeting, you're distracted. The worship service, it can become hype and not holy. And the only way that you keep your heart calibrated to the kingdom of God is if you intentionally discipline your life and format your life to stay connected to the time zone that you eternally belong to. You can't, listen, if you live in the way of the world, your heart will shift. This is what we're seeing right now in American culture. It's like, we've got more Bibles, we've got more resources, more Christian music, more churches. We've got more Christian everything, radio stations, you name it. And yet, what we have an epidemic of is apathy and complacency and lethargy and religious observation, and cultural accommodation. We want Jesus to be how we want him to be instead of us becoming who Jesus wants us to be. It's because what we're saying to Jesus is Jesus step into our time zone. Hey, Jesus, we've read your book, and guess what? It doesn't fit our culture. And Jesus says, hold on, because the kingdoms of this world are about to become the kingdoms of my God and King. He's like, I'm not changing. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God remains forever. And this is what's happening. This is why we're seeing people fall away. This is why we're seeing people begin to shift and even churches and even denominations and pastors and teachers and TikTok theologians all of a sudden beginning to to shift and change, say, oh no, the Bible doesn't mean that. Don't listen to 2,000 years of church history. Don't listen to the most brilliant minds of the patricians. Don't listen to the councils. No, it took 21st century American TikTok theologians to figure out what Jesus really meant. We've now got it figured out. The arrogance of that. Do you know what that is? Time zones. It's time zones. Our heart has shifted. So how do you and I stay awake? How do we stay awake? How do we keep our heart awake? 
I was 12 years old when Jesus encountered me. My grandparents were Pentecostal, itinerant preachers. I grew up in a home. My dad was a minor league baseball player. He left when I was nine months old. My mom was a 20-year-old single mother in the inner city of Detroit. My paternal grandparents took us into their house to live with them. And my grandfather, is, he looks like Moses. I mean, he's gone home to be with the Lord, but just white hair, glorious, just radiates Jesus. My grandmother played piano. He led worship in church. And I grew up on the front row of New Hope Bible Church, 50 members, Aunt Jeanette playing the Hammond B3 organ, her beehive haircut twitching in the overhead projector shadow. Every time the Holy Ghost, and it was the Holy Ghost, not the Holy Spirit, came into the room. It was King James Bible, Holy Ghost. But yet, as an insecure 12-year-old kid who had been through losing his dad, I think I'd moved 21 times by the time I was 12 years old, had been sexually abused by neighbor kids when I was four and five years old. All of those things, all of those tragic things that just mounted up on a 12-year-old kid, they should never have to experience those things. In, in a service on a Sunday night just like this, with 15 people in the room, Jesus graciously and mercifully interrupted my regularly scheduled programming. He stepped in, he spoke my name, he called me, and he shifted everything in my heart. And you know what? I've been, I, I, I've been striving since I was 12 years old to keep my heart awake and attuned into Jesus because I've experienced what it is at times to get into that lull and to lose the life, to lose the, the passion and to lose the zeal, to become a professional disciple. And I'm nothing but an audacious amateur disciple. I might be a, a pastor for many years, but I'm still practicing what it is to follow Jesus. And I wanna keep my heart awake. Listen, Jesus wants your heart to stay awake. Here's how we do it. Number one is if you're gonna keep your heart awake, if we're gonna respond to Jesus's command to stay awake, you cannot relax. You cannot relax your faith. You cannot relax your spirit. I'm not talking about rest. We need to find our rest in Jesus. Hebrews says that there's a rest that we can enter into. The rest is Jesus himself. We can honor the Sabbath and we can be disciplined with our time. But I'm talking about our hearts. Remember, that's where Jesus was pointing us at. Guard your heart. So what does it mean to relax? We need to understand this, that compromise is a spiritual bacteria that breeds in comfort. Compromise is a spiritual bacteria that breeds in comfort. It's what the American dream's all built upon. Comfort. The pursuit of comfort at all costs. What's, what's comfortable to us? Jesus never called us to comfort. Jesus called us to radical obedience. Jesus called us to, if anyone would come after me, let him promote himself. No, he said, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. That doesn't sound very comfortable. As soon as we begin to move in the direction of comfort, we immediately begin to see our heart shift in time zones. In 2 Peter in chapter 2, verse 7 and 8, it's telling the story of Lot, Lot who is Abraham's nephew. You might remember that in the book of Genesis, it said they came, there came a moment where they parted, they separated. Abraham says, you choose which way you want to go, I'll go the other way. And Lot says, I want to go towards Sodom, the plains of Sodom, because they were lush, they were green, they were comfortable. As a herdsman, this is going to be easy for me. 
And what we find is that when the Lord sends the angels to, to come and to deliver Lot and his family before he exerts judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah, he doesn't find Lot camped outside of the city in the plains, but he's actually living in the city. His heart had step by step migrated into the city limits and the time zone of a culture and a community that was about to experience the judgments of God. It was day by day, and that's what the Bible tells us. In 2 Peter it says, and God delivered righteous Lot who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Notice this is day by day. It was a little bit at a time. Just like our heart acclimates to a time zone, it was day by day. It doesn't happen all at once, day by day. By the unrighteous conduct that he saw. He's watching, he's walking the streets of Sodom and Gomorrah. He's seeing their filthy conduct. He's following their Twitter feed. He sees what's going on. He's surrounded by it. It's in the conversations and it's in the way that they do their work. It's a lot like our culture where that which is wrong is now being called right and that which is called right is now being called evil and wicked. And it says that his righteous soul was vexed day by day. Do you know that your heart will either, the temperature of your heart will either be turned up day by day or it'll be turned down day by day, but it will never stay neutral. 2 Corinthians 4 says, the inward man is renewed day by day. But this says that righteous Lot's heart was vexed, it's King James, day by day by what he saw and what he heard. If you, if you were to stop and take inventory right now about what you see and hear on a daily basis, what I see and hear day by day, it's amazing what can happen. Things that a decade ago you would have never, you would have never exposed yourself to, a decade ago you would have thought were out of bounds because our culture has stretched it so far now, even if you're 20% less than where culture is stretching it, you feel, like, you feel like you're out of the loop, but yet it's still 40% of a stretch from where you were a decade ago. That's how compromise works. And if you're gonna stay awake, you've gotta fight against that. The only thing that kills bacteria is light, which is number two. If you're gonna stay awake, you gotta stay in the light. If you wanna stay awake, you go to another country, you've gotta expose yourself to the daylight because getting light into your eyes is communicating to your brain, to your soul, to your spirit. I'm a child of the day. It's time for me to be awake. Stay in the light. First John chapter one says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I wanna be in fellowship with him. I wanna be in fellowship, not just I believe in Jesus, but I wanna be in the light as he is in the light. One of the ways that we develop that, and I'm gonna give it to you really practically, is we've gotta be people in his word. Listen, we're a generation that has $1,000 smartphones and paperback Bibles. Some of us, it's like we spent, if we were to clock the amount of screen time 
on our phones and on our iPads or whatever that we have. It's, and you were to count it up as hours and hours and hours. What would your life look like if you spent that much time scrolling through the pages of the only word, the only book that when you're reading it, it's reading you? Jesus said, the words I speak to you, they are spirit and life. You, this is radioactive. You get this on the inside of you and it will transform you from the inside out. It will, tra- it will change your life. David said in Psalm 119, how shall a young man keep his ways from falling into sin? He says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, God. It's like you get it on the inside of you. It will wreck you. It will wreck you. But let me tell you something about spiritual hunger because, you know, so many times the reason why we don't have lives consuming large portions of God's word on a daily basis, I'm not talking about for an intellectual pursuit. I'm talking about because it's manna, it's food to our spirit. A lot of the reason why is because, I I mean, I get bored. I'm reading it. I don't understand the Bible. And I get that. But let me tell you something about spiritual hunger. Spiritual hunger is the polar opposite of natural hunger. Natural hunger, when you haven't eaten, it's amazing how focused your heart comes into, I gotta find something to eat. And so you'll go to the cupboards. Jane and I are empty nesters. Now our kids are all moved out. (coughs) And so that means we never grocery shop. And so we'll go to the cupboards. I'm like, I'm hungry. And I'll go to the cupboards and it's like, okay, Almond flour tortillas, pickles, and peach jam. I think I can do something with that. (laughs) Scrambled eggs, it's a staple. It's like mix it all together. I don't even know what we're calling it, but I'm eating it. (laughs) Or we're ordering food in. And it's like, I eat because I'm bored. I'm, I'm, I'm just... And what happens is when you get really hungry, you get really narrowed in. It's like, I am not doing anything else until I eat. And then when you eat, you're full... And you don't want anymore. But spiritual hunger is the exact opposite. When you haven't eaten, when you haven't consumed God's word, you don't have an appetite for it. But the more you consume of it, the hungrier you get. Do you know that you can't be hungry for something you've never tasted? Psalm 34 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. You can't taste If somebody says, are you hungry for the Lord? If you've never experienced the Lord, you can't be hungry for the Lord. But just one sample of the goodness of God will wreck your life. That's why I love Costco, because when you go in there, they got these, come on. They got these little old ladies with hairnets sitting at the stations, handing out samples. Can I tell you, they're not doing it out of the kindness of their heart. They are not. How can we bless our customer base? Let's... Let's just, let's give them free toquitos. Let's give them, you know, the, the, the smoothies that we're making and the chocolate, coconut, dark almonds. The poor lady handing out vitamins. Nobody wants that. And, but, you know, you've got, and I'll make the rounds because I know where all the samples are. I'm a pro. But listen, you know why they're doing it? It's because those little old ladies with the hairnets on are actually, they're drug dealers. They're like on the street corners going, first one's always free. <laughs> go ahead. Get you hooked. Because then you go, where, where are those cauliflower crusted pizzas at? And so like you're going over here and you get it and you throw it in your cart. One sample, one taste creates an appetite. 
And the more you consume of God's word, the hungrier you become. I encountered Jesus at 12. I immediately saved every penny I could get my hands on so that I could buy a Schofield Study Bible King James 50-pound heathen choker. It was the, I, felt, I felt like bigger Bibles holier. So I bought the biggest black leather Bible King James that I could get. As a 12-year-old kid, I, I went into my room. I'm like, I've tasted the Lord. I've heard him speak my name. He ruined me for normal. And I bought that Bible and I went into my bedroom as a 12-year-old kid and I began to consume it, read it from cover. I didn't understand it. But I began to get it into me because I wanted to know the Jesus this book talks about. The one who had spoken my name, the one who had transformed me, the one who had called me. I wrote my first commentary in the book of Revelation when I was 13. It was complete heresy. It's wrong. I said, Jesus is coming back in 1988. He didn't come back. I'm like, I'm reading Revelation. I'm like, I don't know why everybody says this is so hard. It's obvious. I mean, it's right there. Spiral notebooks full of notes. My mother, who is not a believer, came in and was like, do you need counseling, son? It's like, all you do is sit in your room and you read your Bible. Don't you want to go to a party or something? But I was wrecked and I spent hours and hours and hours going after it. 51 years old today. And I will tell you that I cannot get enough of the word of God. I don't read the Bible because I got to find a sermon. I got like a backlog of things I want to preach and things that Jesus is still showing me. I'm stuck in the book of John. I'm reading it over and over and over and over again because every time I turn the page of the gospel of John, I'm seeing a new layer of who Jesus is popping off of the page. The same Holy Spirit that was here in our worship tonight is the same Holy Spirit that inspired the pages of scripture. You just have to add attention. It's like adding water and it comes to life in your heart. This is how you live in the light. But if we never have this, what happens is we, we become spiritually anorexic where we don't have an appetite anymore and we're weak and we're consuming the cotton candy of culture and you are what you eat. You are what you consume. And so don't be shocked. Listen, don't be shocked if, if your life is consumed with media and no word that you begin to take on the nature of what you're consuming. You gotta stay in the light. A radical dedication to God, I wanna know you, I wanna know more about you, I wanna come after you, I want your word in my life. I submit my life to this word. When you're, there are things that I read in the Bible that I totally disagree with. And I say, God, I don't like that. And God's like, I didn't consult you. <laughs> when I find those things, I submit my life to his word. I don't say, Jesus, I'm gonna change you. I say, Jesus, change me. You wouldn't write something that can't be real, can't be applied into my life. I wanna live in the light. If you're gonna stay awake, listen, Jesus said many will be deceived. Many will fall away. Many will be offended. We're, we're seeing that. People reading the Bible, seeing what's going on, hearing Jesus saying, I'm offended at that. I don't like that. That's not my experience. That's not my truth. We either fall on the rock and we're broken or the rock falls on us and grinds us to dust. 
Number three, we gotta keep our focus. We're gonna stay awake. We have to keep our focus. We are a distracted culture, a distracted generation. It's like we can be talking about Jesus and all of a sudden, squirrel. And it's over there. Think about it. We have the exact same amount of time in our day that people had 100 years ago, 24 hours in a day. But yet we've got a thousand times more voices vying for our attention, more options. We're connected to everything, but we belong to very little. We have the world at our fingertips. And it's, it's like, what do I do with my time? Or what's, gonna, what's gonna be the building blocks of my success? What's gonna get me further down the road? What's gonna help me realize who I am? And, and if we're not careful, our heart can become overwhelmed. But listen, when David said, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than me. We have to keep our focus. We gotta remember that, as it says in Romans 13, it says, Besides, you know this, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep because salvation is nearer to us when we first believed. I believe with all of my heart, God is looking right now and going, if I can just get the attention of a generation that has every reason to be distracted by everything else, if I can just get a generation to look upon me and set their gaze on me and say no to a thousand other things and give me their one yes, I'll move in that generation. I'll move in that generation in a significant way. Think about it. Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter six, it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was high and he was lifted up and he was exalted. The train of his robe filled the temple. And it says, and I saw the seraphim, these angelic fiery beings swirling in and around the presence of God. And it says, and they covered their bodies and they covered their faces and they flew with two wings and they did not cease crying out, holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah was so broken by that. He said, I'm an I'm a unclean man with unclean lips. Woe is me. 600 years later, 600 years after that moment, John, the last living apostle, all the others have been martyred. He's on an island of Patmos in the Mediterranean Sea. It's a rock quarry work camp. He's 90 years old. It says, it was on the Lord's day, and I heard a voice say, come up here. And the Lord opened up the throne room, pulled back the veil, and showed John the throne room of heaven. And one who was seated on the throne, who was like a lamb, who was a victorious lion, who was found worthy to open the seals on the scroll. And do you know what those angels are still saying 600 years later? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Think about this. 600 years, they don't get bored with gazing on Jesus. Their attention is dialed in on the one who's on the throne. I mean, we get sometimes we get bored with like 45 minutes of worship. We get bored in a prayer meeting sometimes. I mean, but think about it. For hundreds of years, thousands of years, the living creatures never get tired of gazing on him. 
What has our gaze? Today, if you were to do an audit of your life, what has your gaze? What has your attention? See, where we end up in the last days will be determined by where we give our focus. Whatever we give our full attention to. This is what Jesus is saying, stay awake. Don't let your eyes shift. Don't change the conversation. Just come back to Jesus. It doesn't mean that you can't go to work. It doesn't mean that you can't be in college. It doesn't mean that you can't raise kids and fall in love. And it doesn't mean that you can't do the, the things that you need to do. But it's what Paul said when he said, be ceaseless in prayer. In other words, the operating system of your spirit is meditating on Jesus and gazing upon Jesus when, even when you're doing other things. It's like I'm living from that default position. When, when you sit down at night and you don't have any responsibilities, what's the first thing that your soul gravitates towards? That's what has your gaze. 30 years ago, when I met Jane, I fell in love with her. We were working in a Christian bookstore together. She walked in, big blonde hair. I'm like, woo. Asked her out on July 9th. We got married a year later on July 10th. For a year, pursued her with reckless abandon. I lived in a time when phones were like mounted to walls. We had long cords on them. Like in our house, we had an avocado green rotary phone with a 20-foot spiral cord on that thing. And so I'd take the phone into the room around the corner, into the bathroom so my mom and dad couldn't hear and I would just sit and talk to Jane for like hours. I would be at work, and the only thing I could think of is I can't, get, I can't wait to get home to, t- to call Jane. Because she had my gaze. Is Jesus the distraction from the one thing that is holding your gaze? Or is Jesus the one thing that is your true north? That he's got your heart. That's got to be the that's got to be the evaluation of our heart because anything that has your gaze will eventually have your allegiance. Is it the is it what culture thinks? Is it the praise of man? Is it the approval of people? I was telling I was telling Michael during worship because there's just such a strong presence of the Lord here, and I was saying we had. Uh, we had leaders from the underground church in China come a couple of years ago to our, our church. And a very humble man, he has like 250,000 people in house churches that he oversees. And he said, I, I said, do you guys have, you know, worship kind of like we do? How are you able to do it? And he says, no, we do smaller. He says, I said, how do you know, how do you measure when you've gone from hype to like God is in the room and all eyes are on Jesus. He says, we measure it this way. If the police come in to arrest us all, does anybody move? What would happen in worship if the police came breaking in? Is your heart so set on him that you wouldn't even notice? It's like, sorry, I don't have time to be afraid. Jesus is in the room. Jesus has my gaze. We better have that level of resolution in our heart. Number four, I'm just gonna give these to you because I wanna get to number six here real quick. Number, number four, you gotta stay fueled. 
Stay fueled. If you're going to stay awake, you got to stay fueled. Matthew 25, Jesus tells the parable about the ten virgins, five wise, five unwise. The wise ones came with oil because, as it says in verse 5, when the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But it was the five that had oil that the five who did not said, give us some of your oil. Our lamp is going out. In other words, we're falling asleep. We didn't come prepared. We're not fueled. We're not filled up. We're kind of going through life on half tank. But now that it's been delayed and now that it's getting dark outside, now that our oil is running out, give us some of yours. Can I just tell you, oil is intimacy and there is no such thing as secondhand intimacy. You can't borrow it from somebody. You can't draft off somebody else's intimacy with Jesus. You've got to purchase it at full price. It's too many Christians in the American church are driving on a half tank or a quarter tank and the red light on the dashboard is going off. Get fuel. And we think, I've got enough, I got enough. In our family, it's one of the things that Jay and I argue about because I like, she likes, she gets nervous when the tank goes below half. She's like, let's get gas. I'm like, no, I like to see how far we can go past E. <laughs> when it says you have zero miles left, that's when the fun begins. And I've gotten 37 miles beyond that before I almost got divorced. So, so I stopped and got gas because of the weakness of my wife's faith. But I would have gone much further because to me, that's a contest. I just know that there's a Japanese engineer somewhere who's like these dumb Americans. So we'll tell them it's 15 miles left, but really it's like mm, 50. I want to know what that number is. It's fun to do in your car, but it's a terrible way to live your, your life, your faith. It's like, I've got enough gas. I've got enough fuel. I've got enough intimacy with Jesus. It's getting me through. You might have enough for what you're facing today, but if you can't run with the footman, what are you gonna do when you have to run with the horseman? What are you gonna do when the acceleration begins to take place? What are you gonna do when one day the barometric pressure and culture shifts? That's when it's delayed and you begin to be drowsy and you're just like, I'm falling asleep, I'm falling asleep. And that's when you need oil. Fill up. Stay awake. Number five, never travel alone. You know, when you cr drive cross country, you need that friend who's gonna sit in the passenger seat with you as you drive all night long and sh you know, shake you when you begin to get tired. It's like, come on, stay away. You good? Come on, get that Red Bull. Come on, let's stop. Let's stop at the gas station. Let's get a Red Bull. It gives you wings. Come on, you're good, you're good. Let's play some 80s rock. Come on, let's, let's crank it up. You good? Roll down the window. Get some wind in your face. Come on, la, 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 la. Come on, splash some cold water on your face. You're good, come on. Because when you're driving by yourself, you just... Never travel alone. Don't travel through life alone. You need people that are part of the fellowship of the burning heart. Who burns like you burn? Who's gonna get up in your face and say, you're not, you're, not, you're not pressing in? What's going on with this relationship? I thought you said, like, all to Jesus, I surrender, and now, you know, you're missionary dating. Like, you're a missionary to the bar scene now. What's going on in your heart? And somebody that's gonna risk it and get in there with you. Somebody, when you're going through your most difficult season of your life, will pray with you. will show up at the hospital for you. We'll make that call, we'll send the text. 
That's what we need. We need those kind of people in our lives so that we're not traveling alone because the enemy will pick you off when you're all by yourself. When you're isolated, the Bible says in Proverbs, a man who seeks his own desire, he rages against all wise counsel. When he isolates himself, he rages against all wise counsel and he's seeking his own desire. We need one another. Even more so, as Hebrews 10 says, as the day of the Lord approaches. I don't know when the Lord's coming back, but it says when he does, we don't wanna be found asleep. When Jesus comes, whether it's his outpouring of his Holy Spirit or him in person, I wanna be wide eyes and hypnotized. I I want my eyes to be looking on the horizon. I don't wanna hear about an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and say, that could have been me. I just settled for mediocrity. I just settled for apathy. I'm just cruising along into retirement so I can move down to the villages and play shuffleboard and go fit. No, I wanna live my life not retiring, but refiring with my eyes, constantly fixed on Jesus, waiting, waiting. Never travel alone. And then lastly, this is, this is key. If you're gonna stay awake, don't lay down. Because here's what we do. It's like, I'm tired. Miller's made me preach three times this weekend. I'm so tired. I'm sitting here. We got home from India and it was like the second day and I sat down on our couch and our dog jumped up there. I said, babe, just set the alarm. I'm just gonna, just, I just wanna sleep for 20 minutes. I know I shouldn't, but man, I'm so tired. So just set the timer and she goes, okay, I'm gonna sleep for 20 minutes too. She set the timer. Three hours later, both of us kept hitting snooze on the, on the phone. And part of it is because the alarm she picked is like some like child, me- it's like it makes me go to sleep anyways. I'm like, babe, you let us sleep for three hours. What is that alarm that you have? And she goes, oh, it's cute. I'm like, no, I need the one that goes, ang, 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 ang. Three hours later, (coughs) don't lay down. If you're gonna stay awake at the end of the age in the time in which we're living in and be fully engaged in what God's doing, you gotta stand up. You have to stand up. Standing is the posture of vigilance. Standing is the posture of being watchful, of being ready. Keep moving. Don't lay down. And when you've done all to stand, this is what Paul writes in Ephesians 6. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And then it jumps down in verse 13. He says, and when you've done all to stand, therefore stand. Paul's saying, stand. You can't fight laying down. And we're, make no mistake about it, we're in a spiritual battle. Stand. This is an hour to stand, not to lay down, not to get comfortable, not to try and go under the radar. This is a, listen, this is a moment to stand for Jesus. I'm so sick and tired of the spirit of this age trying to corner and intimidate people to dial down their devotion to Jesus. I be, do you, oh, you believe the Bible? I believe that thing from Genesis to maps, everything in between. I believe it when it says genuine leather on the back of it. I believe it. 
You think Jesus is the only way? He is the only way. He is the truth and he is the life. He's the only one who's still got nail scars in his hands. Paid my price. Unashamed. Well, that's just so narrow-minded. Yeah. I'm narrow, because narrow is the road that leads to life. Wide is the path that leads to destruction. Jehoshaphat, I'm about to get Pentecostal up in here. Can I get a beater? Come on, come on, brother. And the Lord said to Gilligan. <laughs> we gotta put on the full armor of God, we gotta stand in the power of his might. Listen, if you don't stand in the power of his might, you will fall under the sway of the gates of hell. It's just that simple. Put on the armor of God. There's an old hymn that says this, stand up, stand up for Jesus, you soldiers of the cross. Lift high his royal banner, it must not suffer loss. This is a day for the people of God to stand. Stay awake. Get your eyes focused on the light. Let it fill your spirit. Run together. Stay fueled. Get the word on the inside of you. Become that fanatic everybody talks about. Lay the idols of your life. Lay the idols of this culture willingly down at the foot of the cross and be sacrificial in giving Jesus your yes. Tonight, I just want to invite you, if you would just stand with me. We're, we're just going to practice that. When you've done all to stand, stand therefore. I believe in this room, in every life that's represented in this room and those even online, every, every person alive right now on the planet, before you ever had a name, you had a purpose. It is absolutely no accident that you are alive on planet Earth in the generation that you are. This is the moment that when God thought of this hour and what he wanted to do in the earth, like an artist, he intricately designed every life and every story that if it was found in him and redeemed, it would become threads woven together into a tapestry of grace. The enemies lied to a generation and said, you're random, you're accidental, you're insignificant, you don't matter. There, nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth. I believe that this is one of the most significant hours in human history. I, I, I'm not saying that for hype. I really believe that if, if what we know, if what the Bible prophesied thousands of years in advance that we're seeing unfold right now, that means we are heading for some of the most challenging and yet glorious days of human history. Right now, those who have gone before us, some that we know and some that we don't, my grandparents who were married 70 years, two years ago, both passed away at the age of 90, 91, served Jesus since they were 17 years old. They're there. William Tyndale, translated the Bible into English and was martyred for it. And Nicholas von Zinzendorf started a hundred year prayer meeting at a place called Hernhut and a modern mission movement 
where people sold themselves into slavery to go to the West Indies to bring the gospel to people. While people were on the ships, after they sold themselves into slavery to do this, they said, may the lamb receive the rewards of his suffering. Those people are there. I believe a, a man who was blind in one eye, a black preacher by the name of William Seymour, who became one of the firebrands that ignited the Azusa Street Revival, he's there. And then there are the countless, nameless, faceless people that you and I will never know who've served in their generation, Jesus, who served sacrificially, some who laid down their lives, some who chose to be poor, some who chose to be persecuted, some who were who could have been famous, who could have been rich, but they gave their lives for the sake of the gospel. They're all there and listen, right now, they are leaning over the banister of heaven at this generation and they can see the finish line just in the future and they're, they're cheering us on, they're going, come on. Come on, this is your moment. This is your moment, this is what you were created for. They've laid the foundation. They're there and they're looking at us, leaning over the banister of heaven going, this is the moment. Don't pay attention to the siren sounds of a satanic culture. Don't give in to comfort or the desires of your flesh. Don't take the easy way. Fix your gaze on Jesus and run hard and stay awake.